Well, good morning, Riv. That's your name, right? It's not Riv, Riv is like the short version, right? Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm Ronald, full name, but you can call me Ronnie or Ron. I'm excited to, to be here. And yeah, like Tony said, I, I serve as a church planning resident at a church uh, in Lincoln Park, Michigan. Any downriver people out here, downriver roots, anyone? No. Okay, I guess we're in a different part of the state. Lincoln Park, it's, it's just south of Detroit, but I, I serve as a, a church planting resident there, and we are looking, praying, uh, pursuing, planting a, a new church for the glory of Jesus just north of Detroit, um, kind of near the Detroit Zoo. It's kind of the best marker I can put it. So Royal Oak is kind of the biggest, most notable city over there, um, but also like Oak Park and Ferndale and Southfield and Birmingham, and uh, there's these little places called Pleasant Ridge and Huntington Woods, all, all these different communities that kind of sprout up along Woodward Avenue just as you get north of the city. Man, there, there's just a, a desperate need for, for a stronger gospel witness there, more people making disciples um, among that generation and among those people. So we, we're excited to be moving towards that. If you know somebody that lives there, if you, if you have some thought for me or just something you feel like, oh, I, I could maybe help in some small way, I'd love to to meet you and, and talk to you after the service. So you can come up and, and find me and would love to, love to hear about that. So thank you. You probably didn't know it, but you've been supporting us already in our journey. We're, we're looking to plant in the fall of, of 2024. And so we might even get to know each other a little more before then. Now, this passage. <laughs> okay, so, so when Noah read it again, I was like, oh no, what is Jesus talking about? What am I, what am I gonna say? So if you were confused, just... Um, you know, pray for me as I, as I get us started up here. here here's what we're going to do. Uh, one of the realities, okay, that we've all been living in and, and seen increasing in the last several years is the pain of just divisions, okay, in our, in our country, specifically like a lot of political polarization. Now, I know what you think, dangerous move for, for the guest preacher guy to start talking about politics <laughs> when he comes in. And, and, and I'm going to put you at ease. This is not going to be a message about politics, but the, the thing that Jesus is pressing on, okay, in our passage, this, this dynamic, it's, it's really, it's the same thing kind of in that undercurrent of what's tearing through America right now. Okay, l- let me read you this quote. There's this uh, Christian political analyst named David French. Who, he wrote an article in Time Magazine back in the fall of 2020. So it's a longer quote. I think it's going to come up on the screen, but bear with me and listen to this. But listen to how he describes this dynamic that's tearing us all apart from each other, Okay. He says, for the past several years, I've been watching the increase in partisan enmity in the U.S. with growing alarm. Multiple social, cultural, and religious factors are converging to create a particularly toxic political stew. America is being pulled apart. This phenomenon is geographic, it's ideological, and it's, it's spiritual. Thanks to the decades-long big sort, so kind of people finding themselves in communities that are just like themselves, the big sort, a phenomenon outlined by Bill Bishop in his excellent 2009 book, Americans are increasingly clustering into like-minded communities. And surrounding yourself with people who think like you has a profound effect. As Cass Sunstein articulated, when like-minded people gather, okay, think through this, they, they tend to grow more extreme. His law of group polarization, that's what he's, he's calling this phenomenon, the law of group polarization, it holds that people who agree with each other grow more enthusiastic in their beliefs and agreement. So for example, if like-minded Second Amendment advocates gather, they grow more opposed to gun control. 
On the other hand, if like-minded environmental activists gather, they grow more committed to fighting climate change. As, as geographic separation increases, ideological divisions are magnified. America is becoming extremely efficient at creating superclusters of like-minded citizens. He goes on and says, now let's throw in another ingredient, enmity. It is clear that partisan Americans dislike each other a great deal. And then here's really the key line for me. We live separately, snarling at each other across a growing divide. And the result is a politics of fear and rage, where policy differences often take a backseat to the list of grievances that the red possesses against the blue and the blue against the red. Okay, deep breath, everyone. Were you good? This isn't going to be a message about politics. The text, it, Jesus isn't talking about American politics in the text. But did you catch the, the thing that was alarming French? Okay, he's saying America is being pulled apart because people, they're dividing into like-minded groups that basically hate each other. He's talking about this thing of like you kind of find your people and then you find your cause to rally around, and then slowly you begin to identify so much with that group that anyone who holds like a different position, a different opinion, or thinks differently or disagreed with you is, is viewed as an enemy. To put it simply, this is like the us versus them kind of dynamic, that mentality. In French, he, he's concerned that this is an undercurrent that is, is tearing our country apart. Okay, now, Forming groups, right, communities, it's, it's, that's normal. It's, it's actually a good thing for, like, humans to do in, in our society, right? Like, organizing different cities and states and countries, that's a, it's a helpful thing to organize like that. To have a bunch of different universities that have different specialties and emphasis, it, it helps educate, like, a diverse population like ours. Even if you think about a church like RIV, right? M multiple venues. I know that you guys have RIV communities and life groups like it's in Bible studies. It's, hel it's helpful to just help people connect and get to know each other to form into groups. But there's something dark lurking underneath the surface, something toxic, French says, that, that pits people and groups against each other. Okay, this is when friend groups become cliques. Okay, this is when like fan bases become cult followings, when majority cultures become oppressors. And all of a sudden, we all find ourselves living in a world of fear and, and rage. And so in our text today, Jesus, okay, he's, he's walking along with his disciples. We're at the point in Mark where he's really, he's told them I'm going to the cross, okay, and he's teaching them this is what it means to, to follow me as we go on our way to Jerusalem. And what Jesus sees is he begins to see this very dark dynamic forming in his community and he will have none of it. Okay, if you caught it in Noah's reading at the very end of the text, he says, you know, my community, it's gonna be marked by wholeness and peace, the salt metaphor, it's a metaphor for purity. Like my community is gonna be pure and peaceful, not filled with division and rage. And for you this morning, whatever groups you're a part of, whatever, wherever you feel this pull in your life, however it's affected your circumstances and your family, your relationships, your church community, it will trend towards division and disintegration 
or wholeness and peace based on what we do with the point Jesus makes in this passage. Okay, so we're gonna walk through it just kind of verse by verse. And, and really first, we're gonna look at the problem that Jesus sees, then the point that Jesus makes, and then last, the path Jesus offers. Okay, you tracking with me? You with me? Let's jump into this. The problem that Jesus sees. Look, look with me at verse 38. So John, Apostle John said to him, teacher, hey, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. He, he, said, he said it with some kind of a tone like that. Okay, the Apostle Peter was, was Mark's main source as he wrote the Gospel of Mark. And throughout the Gospel of Mark, you guys have maybe seen some of these already, you see these like teachable moments where Jesus, who's, he's leading them, he kind of pulls them aside to, to show them like, no, no, this is not that way, this way. And it, it's hilarious because Peter, he's the main source and he, he gave Mark plenty of material on himself just stupid things that he said and did, but you know, at this point, you're just like, I'm throwing, I'm throwing my buddy John under the bus here. <laughs> this, here, here. It's John's turn to be put on full display for all of the disciples forever <laughs> to hear about. Because you can imagine John speaking up here, one of the leaders of the group, he's hoping to get a gold star from Jesus. They had seen this other guy. All we know is it's this other guy. He's, he's driving out demons in Jesus' name, but John's like, Hey, because he wasn't a part of our group, we tried to stop him. He wasn't following us. And you can imagine John just kind of gritting his teeth as he tells Jesus, like, Jesus, like, aren't you proud of me? Um, did any of you guys go to Michigan State in here? A bunch of you probably, Michigan State. Now, big game tonight, right? Marquette, number two. Um, number two ranked, right, or in, the, in the bracket? So for those of you that went to Michigan State, are there some of you also that didn't go to Michigan State that are here, okay? But, but, but a lot of you are kind of Michigan State fans just in this general area. I know there's like a random Buckeye that you let sneak in here named Frank or something like that, some guy named Frank. We're, we, I got news for you, Frank. We're, we're coming for you in a couple minutes. But, but uh, there's some of you that went to Michigan State. There's some of you that didn't go to Michigan State. But all of you are kind of generally, you're here in East Lansing. You're like, oh yeah, go, go green. Now, here's the thing. For those of you that didn't go to Michigan State, those of you that didn't actually go there, I want you to know that the rest of this church family that you're part of, they look down on you. <laughs> you're, not, you're not really a part of the group in the same way that they are. That's what John's feeling, right? He's like, hey, hey, yeah, Jesus, we... He, he was casting out demons in your name and, and, and he wasn't following us. Can you believe that? That was our job. <laughs> like you, you told us to do that. And if you read earlier, they kind of were struggling with this. So you can imagine how John might be feeling like they hadn't been able to cast out the demons. It seems innocent enough in a sense, right? Like he, he, he might've expected, we might've expected Jesus to be like, you know what, John, good job. Way to protect the purity of the group. He has, we don't know who this guy is. He's unauthorized. Like he, did, he didn't have the right training. He wouldn't have been a good representative of me. But look at how Jesus responds. Verse 39. Don't stop him, said Jesus. John's jaw drops, right? His stomach lurches. He's, he's not only not getting the gold star, but he's about to get rebuked. 
Verse 39 again, Jesus says, don't stop him, said Jesus, because there's no one who will perform a miracle in my name who can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For whoever is not against us is for us. And whoever gives you a cup of cold water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. So Jesus says, don't stop him. He's, he's on our team. You don't know him, but, but I do. Like my power is working in him. He's, he's one of us. He's not my enemy. He can't speak evil of me. He's, he's part of our group too. Like if, he, if he's performing a miracle, casting out a demon, and he's, he's doing it in my name, he's calling upon the power of my name, then he can't be a for, uh, against me. He is for me. And to drive the point home, that's why he says the thing about the water. He's like, even, even if somebody just did something so small as to offer you guys a, a cup of water, like don't, don't automatically assume he's, a, he's against you. Like he'll receive his, his reward. And on the surface, Jesus, it's like he's correcting John about who is, who's for him and who's against him. Like, like this point that, hey, John, it's, it's not about your special group of disciples only, but actually there, there's others out there that God is working in and using in his kingdom. I mean, that's an important point for us, right? Like, like to realize that God's kingdom is way bigger than, than you and then your small group in this church, like, Bigger than, bigger than RIV, bigger than your, your network, bigger than any, anybody's denomination, bigger than your, your culture's expression of, of Christianity and following Jesus. God's kingdom, it's, it's diverse, it, it's global, but it's all unified under the name of Jesus. J- Jesus is, is surely kind of pointing us in that direction. But he's, he's not only correcting John's view of, of God, how God works in the world, He's really concerned with John's response. He wants to get to the heart of, of why it is that John instinctively, like the thing that leaped out of him, was to view this guy as an enemy, as, as against them. And the heart of the problem is this. John and the other disciples with him, John was defining himself horizontally rather than vertically. When he thought about this other person who was casting out demons in Jesus' name, he, he viewed him as an enemy because he wasn't, wasn't following us. Like it, it didn't matter that the man claimed to, to be following Jesus. He wasn't, he wasn't following John. That's what I mean by, by horizontally. And, and it'll make more sense in a second. The, the scene that happened just before this in, in Mark, okay, just before this one, we see that the group of disciples, they were starting to really struggle with the sin of pride. Okay, just look back a, a couple verses before this in, in verse 33. They're on the same journey. It says, they came to Capernaum, and, and when he was in the house, he asked them, hey, what were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent. Because on the way, they've been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. Sitting down, okay, teachable moment, he called the 12, and he, and he said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. And he took a child and he had him stand among them and taking him into his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. 
So they'd been arguing before this within their group, like competing with each other about which one of them was the greatest. And, and now they're, they're viewing each other, right, as, as potential threats to their status, their, their position, their sense of self and significance and, and security. That's what's just leaping out of their hearts. You, you're starting to see the parallel of how we do this horizontally with others, how we tend to naturally identify ourselves, get, get a sense of who we are fundamentally in comparison to other people. Okay, any, any teenagers in the room? There's this thing called social media, this, this, this experiment that was created when I was a teenager that you're living in. And, and, and I, do, I just want to tell you, social media, all the different platforms, it, it's designed by people that are trying to get you to click by getting you to compare and compete with others. And underneath that, seriously, like, like the design of Satan, the way that he wants to kind of exploit and tempt you with social media, he, he wants to suck the life out of you through it. It's the same dynamic. And as Jesus saw this in the disciples, he, he, he rebukes them, saying, hey, the truly great person isn't the one who wins the comparison contest. It's the one who lowers themselves to serve. And serve somebody who's of like the lowest status, this little child who like serving them, being associated with them, moving towards them, does, doesn't actually give you any direct advantage. Okay, and it's no coincidence that right after that story, like Mark, he includes this next story about how rather, get this, rather than fighting against each other, they start fighting against the other, right? Like this, this other person who's, who's outside their group. That's the problem that's underneath the surface for them. It's this, it's this fighting spirit that they have that, that happens within their group and then it happens when it's like, if that doesn't work, well, how about our group versus their group? So, Listen, I am a Michigan fan. I am. Go blue, baby. I'm, I'm here. I'm among you. And, and, and listen, so that means that there's, there's a little bit of tension in the room between us. I felt it. You felt it. You, you probably could smell it before I even got in here. You knew. Well, I'm just telling you, that's what it is. That's what it is. I'm a Michigan fan. Oh, and man, the future is bright. It is, it is bright, okay? Um, so between us and, and the Spartans, there, you, you, all of you, there, there's, there's this tension. But listen up. We all know if Frank, wherever, Frank, where are you? If Frank, if Frank called his family and, and there was a, a busload of people in scarlet and red that just walked in that, through that parking lot, through those doors, you know what would happen in this room. We would band together and it would be a fight that they would not win. We'd no longer be fighting each other, but we'd be fighting against the, the real enemy out that door, right? <laughs> Preach. <laughs> but is, isn't it funny how that, how that works? It's just like in our DNA to act like that. And th this is what it reveals, okay? And this is what that reveals. Our, our sense of identity, your sense of self, your, your, your value, your okayness in this world as you try to relate to like where do I fit into this your worth we tend to get it horizontally okay based on the group that we belong to French called this clustering into like-minded communities but here's the problem with that 
that Jesus is just, he's, he's pressing on, he's correcting them in. When we find our identity and worth horizontally, we live in a world where people who are different than us become threats. Okay, th- this leads to toxicity and enmity and even oppression if you're in a group that has, has power. It's always fueled out of fear, by the way, oppression. The temptation is to get power over the other person out of, out of fear and, and self or group preservation. Th- this is the same dark dynamic that's at work in the middle school hallways and the hallways of the White House. Same thing. And seriously, it's, it's innocent enough when we think about a sports rivalry between the Spartans and the Wolverines or Michigan against Ohio, but, but it can fester into something like Nazi Germany or the African slave trade. It, it is that dark, that insidious. And so Jesus, he's, he's stamping it out of his movement here. The root of it is, is pride, fleshing itself out in a deep insecurity. The, the result of it, of giving into this, is actually just more pride and, and more insecurity. And so at the beginning of, of the Jesus community, which is what Mark is showing us, as he trains the first church leaders, he's, he's teaching them the important lesson to not define ourselves horizontally, but to define ourselves vertically. That, that's why he keeps repeating this phrase, in my name. In my name. That's, that's Jesus' main point to correct this problem. So let's look at that. The, the point that Jesus makes. I would sum it up like this. I'd say we need to find our deepest sense of identity and belonging in him, not in people or groups, if we want the wholeness and peace that, that he calls us to. Okay, Jesus, he, he corrects his disciples and he says, hey, if anyone's doing something that's not in his name or doing something in his name, then, then he's for us, with us, part of the group, not an enemy. That like this person that he's talking about, they, they, their identity is not defined by, by where they grew up or what they look like, but in whose kingdom they belong to now, in his name. That this person's identity is not defined by their skills, but by the power of the one that they Represent that their identity is not defined by who they, they know on earth horizontally, but who knows them in heaven. That's what he's teaching them. And so, so he's saying to John, hey, hey, this isn't your group. This is my group. This isn't about your name. This is about my name. You belong to me, and, and so does he. Jesus does not want his church to follow the same path of the world where we divide into rival cliques and snarl at each other across the divide. And so he offers us an identity that transcends all of our differences. Thicker than blood. A sense of, of and, and get this, try to, try to wrap your heart around what, what this means for you and what this feels like. A, a sense of belonging okay, in this world that is actually rooted deeper than any other person you could be connected to or any other group you could be in. He, he calls it belonging to his name. And so, Christian, do, do you belong to Jesus this morning? If you're in Christ, I want to remind you, you do. You, you belong to him. And if you do, do you know that your status has actually been settled once and for all? 
Did you know that if you belong to Jesus, you are a citizen of heaven before and underneath you're a citizen of of America? Did you know if you belong to Jesus, you're a member of God's family before you're a member of of whatever unique and, and beautiful culture that you represent and that you grew up in? That if you belong to Jesus, you're on your way to a glorious future in the new creation that he is making, a a new creation that's going to outlast every human empire that any human leader you could attach yourself to in this life could take you to. Do you know that? Do you remember that this morning if you belong to Jesus? And I'm sure, and I I hope that there's, there's some of you in here that you actually don't belong to Jesus right now. You don't belong to him. You, you belong to yourself. You belong to some group that you've, you've been like, this, this is where I'm safe. This is where I belong. And, and what I want you to know, lovingly, did you know that you, this morning, you are only as safe and secure as your name, your reputation is at a, at a given moment? Or the reputation of, of your group or, or your family or your political party or your country? But the point that Jesus, the Jesus that's stepping into your life this morning, the point that he wants to make is this, find yourself in me. Find yourself in, in my name and get this, be as secure as I am, as without fear as I am. Come with me to where I'm going, find yourself in me. Finding your sense of self and identity horizontally will mean you're perpetually on guard, in survival mode, always under threat. You'll never feel totally safe and secure because you aren't. Okay, your identity, your sense of self, it will be fragile because human beings, we, we are fragile. The groups we form are fragile. If your identity is horizontally, just fundamentally rooted in those things, you will feel fragile because you are. But as Jesus is trying to teach his disciples here, if you surrender your pride, this this grasping, if you surrender that and humbly ask Jesus to accept you into his group, you'll receive the life you've been looking for, the life you've been longing for. And so look at where Jesus goes next. Okay, it's going to feel like a sharp turn in the conversation, but, but track with me. Because Jesus, he, he wants us to get like this point that he's making and, and then actually start walking on a new path that he offers. Look at verse 42. What we're going to see here, I'll just preview it for you. Jesus, he's, he's not only rebuking them for their misplaced identity, but he's redirecting their passion, their zeal toward their true enemy. Okay, watch, watch how this plays out. Verse 42. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were cut off and thrown into the sea. And so if your hand causes you to fall away, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell, the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to fall away, cut it off. Remember how John was like, stop it. We, we tried to stop him. We tried to cut him off. We tried to, like, my, our, my zeal and my passion for the purity of this group was to get that guy to stop. 
Jesus is saying that is a misdirected zeal. That man is not your enemy. It's better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out. Feel, feel the intensity of what Jesus is saying here. It's meant to be intense. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Everyone will be judged and purified. Salt is good, but if the salt should lose its flavor, how can you season it? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. So Jesus of Nazareth, the, the most brilliant man who ever lived, the God-man, he's, he's, got his, he's got a pulse on the human heart here. Here's how those verses we just read okay, fit together with the previous ones we just read. Here's, here's how this all comes together. Jesus, what he's saying is he's saying, hey, hey, stop fighting each other. Stop fighting each other and start fighting your real enemy. Sin, Satan, and death. Stop fighting each other. Your passion is, is misdirected. He's like, hey, don't worry about the guy that you don't know casting out demons in, in my name. What you really need to be concerned about is your sin. Like the sin that you do know, your own sinful pride that could actually lead others astray. Jesus knows and he's seeing it in his disciples, this, this spirit of group superiority, which starts so innocent but becomes so ugly. He's seeing it in John's comment. He knows that it eventually grows into the type of thing where, where the weakest among us, right, the, the little ones that he's talking about, they get exploited and oppressed by people that let that grow in them. And so he's stopping it. And so Jesus, he starts to warn them about hell here in, in a very vivid way. This is one of the clearest places that Jesus helps us understand what, what the final judgment is going to be like because he wants them to understand that, that they're concerned and they're zealous about the wrong thing. The wrong danger. And th this happens so often in our conflicts. It's really helped me this week as I thought through this in just different situations I've been in. And I know somebody in here is in conflict right now. And if you're not, you're about, you're about to be. Let, let Jesus help us here. Okay, okay just like John, here's what happens. We get, we get upset with our brother or sister in Christ. Like they're the enemy. Rather than the satanic forces that are, that are at work. This isn't to say that we don't get sinned against. We do. It's, it's complex. There, there's a, a lot to, to walk through and say for that. So we, we've all been, been sinned against in deeply hurtful ways. But Ephesians 6 says, hey, we, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We, we wrestle against the principalities and the powers and the dark forces that are at work. And, and, and when we are in conflict with another brother or sister in Christ, it is so easy to forget about the satanic forces and deception that is going on and, and make that person the enemy. And on the flip side of that, th this is probably more common, we, we get upset with a fellow believer, and sometimes rightly so because they've sinned against us, but we, we miss out on our own sin. Okay, our, our passion is, is misdirected. Jesus in Matthew 5 talked about like, hey, pull the, the log out of your, your own eye first before you can clearly see what the speck in the other person's eye is. This, 
This is, this is what Jesus is getting at, this, this misdirected passion. This, we're, we're looking at the wrong danger. We're, we're making a, an enemy out of the wrong thing. Jesus, he's saying the real enemy is Satan and your own sin first. Like, be, be, concern, be concerned with that because my judgment is coming on both. And he's using hyperbolic language to, to make a point here that he wants us to get. Okay, two, two strong points. Number one, He's saying, hey, hell is real. Judgment is coming for sin. And you should do everything you can, everything in your power to escape that judgment. That's why he says, cut off your eye, your hand, your foot. Like, rather than suffer forever in hell, like, do, do whatever it takes. Suffer whatever you need to to enter the kingdom of God instead of facing the judgment of God. He want, he's, he's using this language to say, do, do whatever it takes. Cut off your eye. That's the first thing he's saying with this language. But the second thing he's saying is that the stain of sin is so deep that there's actually nothing you can do to purify yourself. So Jesus isn't actually commanding any of you in here to to cut off one of your limbs to get rid of sin because it wouldn't work. Because it wouldn't actually get rid of your sin. It's, it, the stain is deeper than that. You can't gouge out your eyes and take away the temptation and ability to lust. You can't cut off one of your arms and have it actually stop you from hating someone else in your heart. And so what, what is Jesus doing here? Here's what he's saying. He's saying sin is so serious that you should do whatever it takes to, to stop it. Remember John's words, I tried to stop him. He said, yeah, yeah, sin is so serious. Do whatever it takes to, to stop it, cut, cut it off. But you actually don't have what it takes. What a dilemma. What a, what a dilemma we're in. But Jesus, our good shepherd, their, their rabbi, our, our rabbi, we are, we are his disciples, as, as he says this to them, he says, you you need to get rid of your sin, but you can't. So follow me. Because I can. If you remember the context, these, these disciples of Jesus, they're, they're walking down a path with Jesus, arguing about who was the greatest, slowly forming a clique, all the while that the truly great one, Jesus himself, is leading them down a very different path, the path to the cross. Okay, he had just told them earlier in this chapter that he was on his way to be killed and, and they needed to, to take up their cross and follow him. And so now Jesus, he's leading his disciples to the cross because the real danger was always more in them than it was outside of them. And they needed to realize that. They needed to be humbled by that reality. They needed to be humbled by the reality that they're actually not superior to anyone. And that the only comparison that matters in the end is how they compare to their creator. Do y'all realize that like, that's, that's the comparison that matters in the end for each of us? Listen, I'm just like you. I am so, so tangled up and tempted every day to compare myself horizontally to everyone around me. Like, I get so tangled up in that, in my identity. But, but do you realize, let's remember this morning, that the only comparison that, that matters in the end is how we compare to our creator and how, and how do we do in that comparison? 
Do you know what's revealed about us when we compare ourselves to, to our God, our, our creator? What's revealed is that we, we don't belong with him at all. Like, like we, don't, we don't belong anywhere near him. We, we're, we're rebels. We, we're, we're sinners. We're so, we're so desperately sick. We can't bring anything to the table. We can't heal ourselves. And so the cross of Jesus, what it actually reveals to you and I is that we're, we're so bad that this, a, a cross, is what God had to do to forgive us and cleanse us. This is how bad we are. Our entrance into the group was through that cross. Like Jesus had to be humiliated and ripped apart and, and cast aside. You guys have heard Isaiah 53. I'm sure you'll read it as you're getting closer to Easter. Listen to what Isaiah saw about how God was going to be able to welcome sinners like us into his family. This is what it took. It said he himself, speaking of Jesus, he, he bore our sicknesses. He, he carried our pains. But we in turn, we regarded him stricken and struck down by God and, and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was actually on him, and we are healed by his wounds. That's how we get in the group. So Jesus, he meets us in our pride, and he leads us to the cross, where we're humbled to the ground. And as you humble yourself before the cross, you realize it's no longer you versus them or us versus them. It's just you and God. And when Jesus talks about the painful, true reality of hell and judgment in this section, he actually quotes Isaiah chapter 66, which, where he calls, he says, like the, it's the place where your worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And Isaiah 66 is, is such a beautiful chapter at the end of Isaiah's vision where he's actually looking forward to the day where, where the humble will enter the new creation with joy, but the prideful will be forever punished for their rebellion. And the key difference between the humble person who is saved and the prideful person who is judged is whose name did they decide to be defined by? Horizontal or vertical? Whose glory, what glory did they ultimately care about? Who, who did they ultimately compare themselves to, measure themselves against? Because when you compare yourself to Christ and his cross in this life, your only choice is to fall down on your face with open hands forever humbled that this is how he has accepted you, forever humbled. That your name is now forever attached to the name that is above all names. This is what he wanted his disciples to see. Jesus, he confronts the problem of pride by pointing to the humbling reality of what it really means to belong to his name and to be in his group. And he calls his people to walk a different path than the path of the world. And Jesus, he deeply cares about the truth. He says, I am the truth. Like he, he believes that his people need to believe the truth and live out the truth. And there is such a, th a thing as, as false teaching 
And, and not every church and denomination uh, is healthy or remains healthy or faithful to, keyword here, the name of, of Jesus. And so notice that Jesus doesn't say, hey, go support him. He just says, hey, don't stop him. Like, I'll, I'll sort that out. But you, you don't need to worry about this. Don't, don't stop him. Like, I, I hate that impulse that you have in you. Because Jesus, he wants us to be concerned about our own purity first. That's why he ends this section, he says in verse 49, for everyone will be salted with fire. Like everyone's going to be judged in the end. Salt is good, but if the salt should lose its flavor, how can you season it? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. Salt was a, a purifier during this time, and so Jesus, he's telling them, hey, I'll be the final judge in the end. Everyone's gonna be salted with fire. And when we hear that, we, we, we stop fighting each other. We start fighting our sin because we realize that Jesus, he was judged for our sin on the cross already. He's gonna make everything right in the end. And we step into the, this beautiful vision that Jesus gives us of a, a community purified by Christ, living at peace with one another, this different path, a path that's, that's walked by people who've been humbled at the foot of the cross, no longer trying to make a name for ourselves or our group, but living for the name that's above all names. This is a path that's walked by people that are, that are at rest in their belonging to Christ and at war with their sin, but not with other people. And Jesus says it's the only path that leads to eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your providence, your, your plan to, to speak words like this into, into our lives when we need them. God, it really is a time where, where so many of us uh, are so tempted to find our sense of belonging in, in all the options that are here on earth. God, in, in different groups and communities and, and leaders and movements, God, that that maybe have their place, but they're not, they're not you. And so I, I pray for, for Riv, God, that they would be a people in, in Lansing and, this, and in this greater area that are, that are so committed to you, that are so at rest in their identity with you, that they are freed up to fight their own sin and to love their neighbor. And, and be a different type of community in a world that is just tearing itself apart. Jesus, would you give us a fresh vision of your cross, your, your humbling cross, and the power of your resurrection to actually walk this new path, live in this new light. We thank you, Lord, that our sin was great, but your grace was greater. And we give you all the glory for that. In Jesus' name, amen.